This is a Federal News Network podcast. You can't overestimate how much people care about the weather. And although most people may not realize it, the National Weather Service has been the original source of most weather forecasts for a long time now. My next guest has spent more than 40 years as a weather practitioner in the federal government, first at NASA and now at the National Weather Service, where he's been the director since 2013. Now Dr. Louis Uccellini has announced his retirement. He joins me now. Dr. Uccellini, good to have you on. I'm glad to be here. And it's safe to say that you're not really as old as weather itself, correct? <laughs> I'm still feeling young. That's what counts. <laughs> and you're leaving, you know, and of course, weather is changing and climate is changing, they say. But what would you say is the biggest change in the way weather data and forecasts are generated that you've seen over these 40 years? Well, there's been a lot of changes in the uh, meteorological community and um, a lot of changes with respect to how observations are made, how forecasts are made from those observations, and then how the forecasts and warnings are delivered. So the changes have been actually enormous over the past 50 years. And is it changing the idea of the federal government pretty much having a monopoly on the raw data from satellites and other observation stations of course, Weather Service is part oh, yes. of NOAA, which has ships and so on. But that's changing, isn't it? Yes, and it's changing for the good. One of the major changes that's occurred well, over the last 50 years, especially over the last 30 or so, has been the growth of the private sector in their role across the entire value chain. So observations, collecting, you know, making forecasts and warnings and disseminating those to uh, customers in a very tailored form for specific decisions made by those customers. So yes, they've become a very important part and we support that. The fact is we can't do it all. We cannot meet all the demands and the increasing demands for weather, water, climate information. And there are specific elements that the private sector has really latched onto and uh, provided the tailored information that's essential for their decision. So we work in partnership with them, we provide but we also collaborate, ensure that to the extent possible, we have a consistent message going out, especially during these increasingly extreme weather and water events. And although people complain, it's a demonstrable fact that the accuracy of forecasts, especially in the one to three day range, has really markedly improved in the past number of years. What has been the driver there? The forecasts have improved, actually, in some cases, all the way out to week one for these extreme events. And we're actually um, making those forecasts with increasing confidence. These are, you know, the hurricanes. We see forecasts made out today, seven now on an experimental basis, but we provide information and decisions are being made in that time frame. Heat waves, even in precipitation events, we can't make a perfect forecast, and there are always times when situations arise where the accuracy is actually, even at day one, a challenge. Uh, we call this the predictability issue. There are science aspects that are actually being studied with respect to that. But in large measure, we are improving the forecast and we're extending the useful forecast out you know, beyond days five, six, and seven for a, a number of these events. And do you envision each individual, say, being a sensor now that we have all these smart devices? Yeah, that's an interesting comment. You know, people with their cell phones taking pictures of potential tornadoes developing and hitting the ground and sending to us is becoming a very important data source for calibrating and verifying a second source of information that we would be looking at a radar and saying, is that signature we're seeing in the radar 
you know, is that tornado actually forming again? And then we get pictures, you know, from people with their cell phones. So in that regard, it's true. Yeah, there's increasing information out there that we're tapping into throughout, again, the value chain that's helping us and helping what we call the enterprise, which is the public-private sector that you referred to before. We're speaking with Dr. Louis Uccellini, director of the National Weather Service. He's going to retire on January 1st. And talking about the NWS as a federal agency, you have had a program called Evolve to kind of modernize the agency. Tell us where that stands now and what you hope the agency will look like when the Evolved program has evolved. Well, the the Evolve, the word itself, you know, it's a slow change. It's working towards a more complex system that we have because what the fundamental change we're talking about here is we're going beyond the forecast and warning, right? That's been our comfort zone, you know, development of the models, the physical processes that we study as we become meteorologists, we apply it to forecasts and warnings. We're going beyond that. We're now taking these forecasts and warnings, working with social scientists in terms of how to communicate the calls to action when these forecasts and warnings involve extreme events, and then working with decision makers at every level of government, you know, federal, state, local, so that we get the decisions that we all would want with respect to an oncoming extreme event. That again, there's uncertainty in the forecast. So we have to work with these folks in the emergency management, public safety communities to get the right decisions that citizens can then be directed or they can work with their local officials to decide are they going to evacuate or not, right? Uh, take cover now kind of thing. So so to get beyond that, to get beyond the physical aspects and get into the uh, human behavior, the human factors, the social science, that's a slow process. But we've been successful over the last decade now in providing a firm foundation for that. And we're already seeing results. But there's still a lot more to be done across all 11 service areas that we work on on a daily basis. So this is an ongoing effort you feel will continue under your successor. Yes. In fact, what we've done and what we've decided as an executive council within the Weather Service, you know, this involves more than me. It involves the whole workforce. I mean, the workforce has really embraced this effort. We provide this impact-based assistance support services. That's the link to the decision makers. We have now built that into our mission statement so that it's not just providing observations, forecasts, and warnings, it's providing observations, forecasts, and warnings, and impact-based decision support services for the protection of life and property. You have to have that. Everybody recognizes that within the Weather Service, within NOAA, on the Hill. I mean, this was written into the Weather Act in 2017. So this is really a fundamental change that we have evolved into, and we're still learning, and we're still working down this process with our partners, our core partners, to ensure that we're ready for these extreme events as they come at us. I guess it would be a great plan to have the supply chain folded into all of this because people tend to rush to buy supplies when they think it's going to rain or snow too much. And then you've got these issues of shortages or empty shelves and so on. So maybe that could be part of the planning also. Well, it is. Actually, it's, we've seen that where people in the uh, different sectors actually work with either their own meteorologist or again with the private sector or rely on our forecast are taking actions. You know, I've seen examples in upcoming snow events where at the beginning of the week, the retail industry has moved their sales from Friday and Saturday to a Wednesday, Thursday, because we're predicting a big storm for Friday and Saturday. So they adjust, right, 
to take advantage and then not get stuck with all this merchandise on their shelves kind of thing, much less I've seen advertisements now for supermarkets <laughs> ahead of snowstorms. Hey, we're, we're stocked, you know. So the point is, we're seeing that. And, you know, a lot of these big retail outlets have access either to a private sector group or have their own meteorology groups now. And what's really interesting is that some of these big box stores out in the rural areas actually become the central point for shelters, right? They look to be the firmest structure around. And a lot of people now go to a Walmart or Lowe's, you know, I'm sort of reluctant to name outlets because you got to name them all. You know, what's ever out there, they are now preparing themselves for the fact that 200 people can show up at their front door looking for shelter as a tornado is coming over the hill. So the point is, this effort doesn't just involve the meteorologists, this evolve effort. It involves people who have to make decisions in the face of an oncoming extreme event. Look at the heat wave out in the Northwest. They set up cooling centers in a number of these places to try to deal with this unprecedented heat. So yes, you know this is a big effort. It involves the weather service at its core, but it also involves a large segment of the enterprise. And now private sector folks, emergency managers, public safety officials, nonprofits, everybody who can help a community get prepared for and respond to these extreme events. And let's talk about your career for a moment. What has sustained you these 40-some years? Is it the weather? Is it federal service? Or is it a combination of both? Both. Well, actually, you know, I've been reading about this, and people have actually come up to me and tell me that I love what I do. And that's a true statement. I've always loved the weather. I've always been interested in it. Did a lot of research before I came into the weather service. Not only did I get all my degrees at the University of Wisconsin, and be writing papers at the same time. But then I joined NASA for 11 years and was the section head for meteorological analysis and modeling section. You know, I always loved that. I loved the research, I loved the write, but I was interested in how our work related to forecasting for the public, always. So when the uh, time came, opening came up at the weather service, right at the front end of their modernization, very famous modernization associated restructuring, brought us the Doppler radars and all the restructuring out in the field, the green meteorologists in the forecast offices dealing with the tornadoes and flash flood. That's when I joined the weather service. And I wanted to make a difference with the work we were doing, the research we were doing in terms of getting that into operations, but also learning from the operational people and what we really need to do to move sort of like ball down the field, because at the time, people weren't using the information for critical decisions the way they're using it now. And I would say that that difference in a large measure is a reflection of not only the effort on my behalf, but how you know the workforce and the weather service and the whole enterprise has embraced the fact that what we do is important for public safety and for the commerce of this country. And um, we work together to serve those interests and make sure uh, that the information is used as correctly as possible to save lives and property and enhance the national economy at the same time. And something tells me that when you retire, you won't be the type of guy that just puts your feet up and watches the sunset. Maybe you can't watch a sunset without thinking about the analysis of it. What will I you love do? nature, too. And I do watch the sunset. I have a tremendous number of sunset pictures. But you're right. I'm, I'm going to rest for a while. And it's actually been, I've been on the go for about 50 years, actually, if you count time at the university where I was working on the degrees, but I was also involved in a national project and writing papers. So I, 
I really feel like I've been on the go for about 50 years, take a little bit of a rest, but I'm still interested in what's going on. Dr. Louis Utilini is director of the National Weather Service. He's going to retire January 1st. Thanks so much for joining me. Glad to be here. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day 
And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day 
and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.